filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Guys, we got a, a lot of things to talk about, but uh, I, I do have to bring up something that happened to me after uh, the big news, after DC's training session, uh, just trying to eat some lunch and uh, transcribe some audio. A uh, great place to do that uh, is a Panera because they have Wi-Fi and food. They serve food there. Um, if you are from the Panera Corporation, uh, filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please sponsor us. Give us enough money where we can quit is, our jobs. Is Panera McDonald's? Um, I don't, I don't know. So. I, I mean, if they are a McDonald's thing, then fine. McDonald's sponsor us. You guys can afford to sponsor us. It, it will, You won't even notice. Um, you won't even notice is, that you're doing it expenditure-wise. It is not McDonald's. Uh, but uh, So I'm sitting at Panera, and I'm eating my salad. I'm finishing up the last couple of bites. Um, and I've got my computers out. I'm just about to get really started. And I'm sitting at the table, and the, there's a guy in the table that I'm looking at. His back is to me. And just as I'm thinking, like, or as soon as I'm done chewing this last bite, I'm going to start transcribing. He turns around, and he hasn't – we have not had any interaction. He turns around, and he says, hey, let me ask you something. I'm like – all right. No, what do you. you got? And he, he sort of turns his laptop and he was like, and, and what I'm looking at, and I haven't really focused on it. It's just sort of like he turns the laptop. So I know I need to understand vaguely what's on there, but I, I just saw some pictures of it, it looked like boats maybe. So he's like, which one of these boats do you think uh, is the best? And I was like, the best for what? <laughs> Cause that is not, I gotta have some more information here to answer your question accurately. He's like, if you're going to get a boat, which one is the boat that you would get? So at this point, I like now focus a little more closely. And I realize that these aren't just boats. These are like, like yachts, like seven figure yachts. Like if you told me any of these boats were like a 2.5 to $3 million yacht, I would say, yeah, that sounds about right. Now, I don't know. That's just a guess uh, from osmosis of, of living near the water and being around people that might have a boat. I don't I mean, actually know how much. I, 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 I have two thoughts at this point. Yep. Number, I one, have other <laughs> number one, you are clearly the person who exudes big boat energy. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm giving off a lot of boat vibes with my no boat apparel whatsoever and <laughs> having not spoken about boats uh, at all. I mean, you are the one person from Maryland who's anti-boat shoe. I, that might be true. Um, that's a, a fight, a, a burden that I have to bear. Um, <laughs> and, and number two, there is one and only one criterion that you need to use to judge these boats. And I hope that you used it. And that is which one would be best for monkey knife fights. Uh, that's not what I judged it on. Uh, I'm disappointed I, in you. I concede, I concede that you might, you might be right there. I am disappointed. Are you, do you think that this man is going to be the proprietor of the Allie Krieger Memorial Ferry and is looking for the best ferry boat? He did not bring up Allie Krieger at any point. Uh, soccer came up eventually, 
because this conversation yeah, continued. Um, but he didn't bring it up. Um, I would hope that that's what he wants. That's his end game is to upgrade very luxurious that ferry from a functional but not luxurious ferry into uh, a, a real swanky sort of experience in your like 30 seconds of being ferried across the river. <laughs> the um, Audi feel of befit- Potomac River ferries. <laughs> something that befits Allie Krieger's name. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you, you're not going to have a, a some piece of junk out there. Uh, if you're naming it after Ali Krieger, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, uh, he showed me two, the, he enlarged photos of two different boats. Uh, and by boats, I mean yachts. Uh, I picked the one that I thought looked nicer on the inside because I was like, look, I don't really care how a boat looks on the outside. Um, I gotta be honest. Uh, this is not a thing that I've spent a lot of time considering. I haven't thought about, yeah, which is the boat that is the boat for me. Haven't thought about it. Um, big, a big surprise. I know. Um, so I told him the first one and he was like looking at it closely. He's like, Oh, this one's, that one's a little less expensive. So, you know, it might be a better value. And I was like, all right. For also gotta say, this guy did not strike me as the guy who was just going to go out and buy a boat, uh, anytime soon. So I'm not sure why he was looking at boats. Uh, he later turned around to ask me more questions about like, what do I do? What was I doing today? Um, I, when I, I mentioned you may have the, been the subject of a gorilla psychology experiment. Yeah, I, I don't know. This it was it got real weird, um, but not in like a alarming way. Just a just a, this was an eccentric, uh, but not a worrisome eccentric. Um, which is a it's a close run thing. There's a there's a thin line, but he didn't cross it. Thankfully, um, but yeah, I mentioned that the whole reason that I was at the Panera, I was like, yeah, I was at DC United's training session. So I talked to the coach, talked to some players, and I'm like transcribing audio. I had, he interrupted me at this point, my earbuds were in. So I will say, I guess that's a, a, a small red flag. Cause once someone's earbuds are in, you start talking to them, you're, don't do that. Um, and he was like, Oh, uh, you're a writer. Uh, have you written, have you written any books? And I was like, No, I haven't written anything as long as a book. Um, he was like, Oh, he was kind of let down. Uh, <laughs> So I must have I must have made a facial expression change that indicated to him why is that such a disappointing piece of news? And he's like, ah, I I got a couple of businesses and and one of them we're looking to write a book, but we want someone that's written books before and and like self published them through Amazon to to do most of the the lifting. We got some ideas, but we don't have any any real writers. Um, and I was like, well, because uh, at this point I I didn't want to have a further investigation as to what the book was going to be about or anything like that. So I was like, well, this is not really book writing. Isn't really in my wheelhouse. Uh, so good luck. Um, and then he left, uh, soon thereafter. So I assume he went off to speak to the next person he came across and ask them what their boat opinion was and whether they could be the, the writer of a book for one of his businesses that (laughs) may or may not exist. Networking in 2020 is very strange. Uh, yeah, uh, that's to say the least. I, I feel very confused about the whole thing. Uh, but I mean, is, I, if, is I hope he is, gets the boat that he wants. Yeah, is the new way of networking just going to Panera and asking people about boats and whether they've written books? But like suddenly asking them, not yeah. like not like striking up a conversation and then working to it, but like waiting and waiting and waiting and then be like, I think he's done. I think he's done now and and spin to ask. Hey, can I ask you something? What do you think of these boats? 
Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and Books About Boats podcast, I guess. I don't know. We're I'm Adam. They're Jason and Ben. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We talk about DC United, not boats, most of the time. We talk uh, about boats more often than other subjects. Yeah, but if you want an SB Nation soccer site that talks about boats, go to Sounder at Heart. True. That is their bailiwick. That is actually where one of the places where our, our guest in the, the second segment writes. His name is Miki Turner, and he's going to talk to us about the collective bargaining agreement that MLS and the Players Association are currently negotiating, possibly as we speak. I don't know how late they tend to go into the night. Uh, before we do that, though, we're going to talk about some some news and developments in the world of DC United. And before we do that, of course, Ben, what are you drinking? So when I bought, uh, when I refreshed my uh, bourbon supply, I got a free airplane bottle of Evan Williams green apple flavored bourbon. And I am a, I am a notorious not waster. I don't want to waste things. And so I was like, fine, I will punish myself with this green apple flavored bourbon. And I put it in some Coca Zero, and it still had the bad artificial green apple flavor, but it also brought out some like cinnamony notes in the Coke Zero, which weren't terrible. But overall, I don't recommend it. Uh, it was very cold today, and I decided to pretend it was warm and made a gin ricky with green hat gin, and it's it's good. I wish it was warmer. That's all Me I have too. to say. <laughs> Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so going back to, it feels like 10 weeks ago, but it's actually last Thursday. Uh, the uh, draft went down, the NWSL draft at the uh, United Soccer Coaches Convention. Uh, I met, but the night before the draft, I met up with Steph Young, who has been on the show a couple times. Uh, and we got a Korean barbecue with some folks from the uh the Rose city riveters who were in town for the, uh, the ISC portion of the conference, the supporters side uh, of things. And while we were at the Korean barbecue, uh, I was plied with several shots of, uh, soju and I went to go get beer over the weekend. Actually, I went and got like a bunch of fried chicken and then a bunch of beer, uh, because I was zonked otherwise. And I felt awesome about it. But while I was getting the beer, I happened to wander to the portion of the liquor store that has like, there's a bunch of wine and there's like a small shelf of just like random stuff that they don't really have that many of. So there's like some sake and they also had several kinds of soju. So I have uh Jinro uh, brand grapefruit soju. I don't know if it's any good cause I've never had it and I haven't actually had a sip of it uh, until I guess I should probably pour it into a glass. Uh, I think we're just going to wait for you to do that. Doing it's it. good radio. It's happening. Yep. There's one thing uh, almost eight years of podcasting has taught me. It's that waiting for someone to take a drink is is good radio. It's good filibuster. It's not bad. It could be a little more grapefruit flavored, but it's not bad. The peach kind that we had, and I'm not sure what brand it was, but the peach kind at the Korean barbecue place in Baltimore was better. But this is pretty good. All right, with with that, let's let's get to the soccer. We may be three weeks into 2020, but uh, I think we can officially now say Happy New Year because DC United's preseason is 
officially underway. They began uh, Monday uh, with an inexplicable outdoor training session at Longbridge Park in Arlington. Um, despite it being very cold and very windy, they they were out there and some of them were in shorts and good for them, I guess. Uh, today, we're recording on Tuesday this week. Um, they were indoors at the St. James. J- Jason was there. Um, and, and I think we'll get into some of his observations here in a minute and we'll break down the, the preseason schedule in a little bit, but, but first the big news of the day. Um, thankfully we are recording on Tuesday because today DC United traded for Julian Gressel. Kind this of, is kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. Uh, and we get to talk about it today instead of waiting until next week. Um, DC United sending a minimum of $750,000 in TAM to Atlanta United uh, to get Gressel. Uh, 650K of that will be this year's TAM, another 100000 in next year's. And then there are some conditions uh, that could take the price tag up to over $1 million in whatever allocation money, assuming TAM continues to exist, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about in the second segment with Miki. Um, just as an aside, what if this trade went down and then Tam just got abolished somehow in a way that made it so that Russell was traded for like, I am sure MLS wouldn't be like, guess what Atlanta, you got absolutely nothing. Um, but that would be pretty funny, but that'd be awesome. Um, I mean, we can hope that would be awesome, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I will say, I assume that that's a sign that some, some sort of Tam will exist, but we'll save that. Yeah, I think even if they decide to get rid of it, it'll phase out rather than yeah, um, just be cut off immediately at the start of this year. But Julian Gressel coming to DC, uh, very, very good player. Uh, one that, that DC United and more importantly, Jason Anderson have wanted uh, in this area for, for since he came out of college. Um, yeah. he, the, he spent three years in Atlanta and... That's, you know, Atlanta's only been around for three years, but in that time, he is their all-time assists leader, chances created leader. Um, He and Joseph Martinez, or he has assisted on Joseph Martinez goals more than any other uh, assist to score combination in MLS during that period. Um, Can cross the ball really well, but more importantly, I think can create in other ways as well with through balls and combination play. Uh, Really good player can play all over the field as well. Um, I really don't have any criticisms of of this deal. It's a good (laughs) deal. (laughs) um, Look, it's an expensive deal, but um, you gotta. It's how are you supposed to get excellent players? players that are proven in MLS um, without putting up a big amount. So um, there's no uncertainty or there's a lot less uncertainty, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, When you go abroad, you know, there were, there were rumors after the Lozano deal started to look unlikely that DC was looking at uh, TAM targets that might be based in Europe. Um, This is much more of a sure thing. Um, and it's also, as we've said about a billion times on this show, it's DC needed one more piece in, in, 
in the attacking midfield line. Um, I don't know if that's where Gressel is going to spend all of his time, but he becomes a real option there. Um, and so if someone gets, gets injured, you have no problem. Um, either he's moving from right back, for example, or moving from elsewhere, um, or he's already starting. Uh, you've got, he's good enough to do any of those things, uh, without really batting an eye. Um, there's another aspect of Gressel that I think is really important, which is that you can do pretty much anything tactically with him. He can fit every style of play you're going to throw his way. Um, under Tata Martino in Atlanta, they started out as a high tempo transition team. He thrived in that. Uh, in the 2018 playoffs, that they were sort of not able to execute very well on that high tempo plan anymore. So to, in the playoffs, Tata said, okay, we're going to drop deep and be purely a counterattacking team. He thrived playing that way. Frank DeBoer comes in. He says, we're going to slow the tempo down, be much more of a possession-oriented team than a transition team. He thrived in that. Um, he thrived playing centrally. He thrived playing as a wingback, as a winger, as a fullback. Uh, pretty much everything that Atlanta threw his way, it ended up being a success for Julian Gressel. They just... Uh, they moved him around and there were times where he wasn't playing at his absolute best. You know, some, some of the times he was playing as a number eight, it was clear that he's better out on the touchline. Uh, but he was still a functional number eight on a very good MLS team. The standard with Atlanta was, well, he's not the number eight that maybe an MLS cup winner would have. Um, it wasn't like he just was hopeless out there. It was that it's sort of like when Paul Ariola played there. Um, it's not his best spot, but it's something that he can do at a respectable level. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's nothing there. There really isn't any reason to have any qualms about this. Um, Atlanta, for whatever reason, decided he didn't merit the raise that he felt he wanted. Um, I think Atlanta. I think Atlanta, if you got them off the record, would say that they did feel like he deserved that raise, but they couldn't figure out a way to make that work and then do everything else they wanted to do with their roster because the salary cap is what it is. Um, this is successful teams in the league have this happen. You just run out of space and someone ends up with the short end of the stick. And uh, with Gressel, it was going to be, we're talking short by a few hundred thousand bucks, which is a lot of, a lot of money uh, off of your contract. Um, so, and to be clear on that front, he was making around one hundred and fifty-five thousand uh, dollars, still on his rookie contract. Um, it's reported that end at the end of this year. Yeah, which yeah, which is a big Atlanta. Atlanta picked up his twenty twenty option, which gives him you know a raise over that, but he um, it, it's a limited raise. He needs to sign a new contract to get paid really what what he's worth. Reports are that he will be signing a new contract with DC United. It's mostly worked out, but not finalized yet. That will pay him more than $700,000 a year, which is right there in the sweet spot of TAM eligibility uh, to the extent that, again, to the extent that it exists. Um, so he's going to be be making, you know, the money that he he's earned at this point um, and hopefully will continue to earn once he gets to DC. Um, Ben, how do you see him fitting in? I mean, he puts a good pressure on the midfield immediately. As we've hammered away on this podcast and on the site, DC United has been their best in the Olsen era when there is competition all across the field. And now there is competition all across 
the attacking midfield. Like right now, I would pencil in uh, Edison Flores and Paul Areola as starters, but that third spot is definitely up for grabs right now. It could be Emil Assad. It could be uh, Julian Gressel. He also could play as the right back on this team. Uh, I think most of us, I know I don't want to see Russell Knauss playing right back again. It was an emergency situation that needed an emergency answer, and he did fine there. But it seems from his quotes that he doesn't want to play there. I think he told Steve Goff recently that he hopes to see himself in the middle of the park um, this year. So that could be another place where we see Gressel uh, starting, but he gives United a bunch of options up and down the right side. And I think all of them are, all of them are good. Just getting him on the field will be uh, a good start. And I think he's definitely going to be on the field from the get go. uh, No matter what, I think his old teammate, Yamil Assad has the most to uh, worry about long-term as Ben Olsen mixes and matches uh, the best combinations. But let's remember that, half of that midfield is going to be missing in the summer when Paul Ariola and Edison Flores are both away on international ju- duty for most of June. So having depth is a good thing. Having options is a good thing. You never know when a stray injury will hit and Gressel gives you options. He definitely does that. It also, I, I've seen people trying to come up with formations that get all four of those guys on the field together. And that might be what Ben Olsen does, whether that's, uh, going to a, a system with, with wing backs or putting Gressel at fullback or going to a 4-1-4-1 to get those four guys in a row uh, underneath Kamara. Um, whether he does any of that, you, the worst case scenario is one of these guys is on the bench each game and can come in and be a difference maker. And that's not a bad situation to be in. Um, we've gotten kind of used to having a, a real drop-off after the the first 11 guys on the team and that might not be the case this year at least in, at a couple of positions and that's a that's a really good thing because as ben said you're not going to have your first 11 for every game no matter what um especially when those those top guys are national team players at the for for countries that are going to international tournaments um and 2020 is one of those years where you're going to be missing guys to international duty. Um, and there's th- those tournaments are long enough that there's, there's no way you can avoid playing your, your games, your league games during the, those tournament windows, at least not when you're a summer league like MLS is. So there's going to be some rotation that's just forced by, by circumstances. So it, it's good to have depth even beyond the competition angle, which as Ben said, has been important in, in Ben Olsen's time here. So I'm happy about it. Um, the, there are some potential knock on effects. Um, I know it's been reported that uh, DC United still has room under the cap and with Tam and other resources to make a, another signing or two. And that's, that's a good thing because they still do need depth at center back and at forward and at left back. Um, and and even at right back because we don't we don't yep. know where Chris Aduiachum and O'Neill Fisher are at this point in their their recovery and their uh, ability to play. So depth is still an issue across uh, several positions. 
Yes, we need we need to have a backup plan for if Joseph Mora gets a elbow thrown to his jaw again, and the answer not being the team falls apart. Yeah, that would be that would be nice if we if we start the year promising. It'd be nice to not have Orlando break Joseph Mora, or, or if they do, to have someone who can play left back who's not Joseph Mora. And, and that you know that might well be O'Neill Fisher. Um, yeah. Yeah, who I got to talk to today. Um, I think Ben Olson indicated that um, they think fitness wise he's there, but they want to be absolutely sure he gets through the full preseason because it's a buildup um, to get into the full 100% um, game in game out kind of shape that you need during the season. Um, and they want to make absolutely sure he's there. They don't want the setback injuries like we saw um, with um what do I ask him when he came back, he played a couple games and then he had a hip flexor. He had the setback injury that, that, um, you know, it's not what he was dealing with before, but it's something that popped up because he was out of action for so long. And it's the same with Fisher. I mean, he did play, um, 45 minutes in that friendly against Bermuda. Um, and he came through it and he told me today that he came through it and had no issues, no setbacks, no hamstring twinges, anything like that. Um, his knee didn't balloon or anything, uh, to that degree. Um, but you know, Ben Olson said they're still going to make sure that they're taking it easy with him. They don't want to push too hard. I think it's partially because they know he can be a, an important player for the group. Um, so he could be that, that answer at left back. Uh, he could also end up playing a regular role if, if Olson doesn't want to play Gressel as a right back, if he wants mm-hmm. to play four, two, three, one, um, then the competition for playing time probably becomes one between Fisher at right back versus um, Assad uh, on the left wing. Um, because at that point, you know, you know, Gressel's going to be out there. You know, Ariola and Flores are going to be out there. Um, who's the odd man out? It's one of those two. Um, so that might be some competition we're seeing that that isn't really direct competition. It's, you know, because Gressel and Ariola can play so many different spots, you know, Ariola would just be moving over to his U.S. national team position, playing from the left rather than from the right. Um, but yeah, it, it's this is a good problem. All of this is good. Those are all good. Like we're talking about a bunch of good players vying for um, one too few starting spots. Uh, I, we've talked about this offline. We've seen a couple fans who are like, "Why is DC signing so many midfielders?" Um, well, for years, DC had just barely enough midfielders where if anything went wrong, they were immediately like, oh, I wish we had more midfielders. Um, so it's not bad. It's good. Um, we just we're not used to it because we're not used to seeing the roster built uh, from day one to be deep enough. And that apparently was one of the points of emphasis um, speaking with with Olsen today was that um, the they don't want to be a partially built project and then wait for the summer to finish it off. Um, They want the roster to be strong from the start. They want to bring the guys in for the most part from this. I mean, that's not to say there won't be any moves in the summer, but they want the roster to not need a major piece of the puzzle coming in in summer because that's over half the season. You know, the trans that transfer window closes and you've got like 12 games to play. You don't have a lot of time stretch at that point. Right. And and as we found out last year, you know, if the visa process takes a little longer, then you're talking about maybe nine or 10 instead of 12. Um, 
you know, Ola Kamara came in, had a little bit of an, a, a knock, and all of a sudden he barely plays. Um, or even so, Wayne Rooney's 2018 was yeah, a, um, a electric 10 games, but it was only right. the end of a season. And, and you know, to to go to the Loudon example, they brought in Alioune Indoor uh, last season at, at the end of the transfer window, and the visa process took so long that he only played five games. And he didn't have any injury or fitness problems. He came in fit and ready to go, and he still only could take the field for five. So um, there are plenty of reasons to want your team in place from day one, or in this case, day three, um, which apparently Gressel uh, is expected. I think um, Goff's report on this, Steve Goff's report on this said uh, that they expect him to arrive in time for your training tomorrow. Um, so by the time so people yeah. are listening to this, he should have, have already, already reported for yeah. duty. Yeah. Um, barring any sort of like flight delays coming out of Atlanta. Um, yeah. So uh, this is, I, I think, I think I can speak for all of us on this. And it, this is good. Um, it's nice to, it would be much better to enter the season with the team pretty much intact uh, and having competition for spots and having real depth and having guys like, I mean, if this team is bringing, Assad or, you know, bringing Fisher in off the bench and moving Gressel into a midfield role to freshen things up in that way, in that manner. Um, that's, that's really good. That's a strong team. Um, the last thing I will say about this is that when I think about Gressel as a right back, what it reminds me of is Andy Nahar shifting back there for the back half of 2012, which let's not forget is the closest this team has come to MLS cup since 2004. Um, uh, that stupid referee who screwed us over in Houston. Uh, may he never, ever sleep a, a good night in his entire life. Um, <laughs> just kidding. He, he doesn't deserve that much of a punishment. It's just soccer, but um, I yeah, hope he that, faces oh, one minor inconvenience every day. There you go. Um, oh, Rafael yeah, that, Augusto. That yeah. is, that's the kind of team building that you want to see where um, it's not just the attack that provides the attack. Um if Gressel is overlapping on a team that already has Ariola and Flores and Assad and Kamara, other teams, other teams in MLS are going to not, it's just one too many things to deal with. Um, and that's what you want. This is that you want to create problems that teams are just overwhelmed by and cannot solve. And last year they didn't really have that in 2018. They did briefly. Uh, but for the most part, we just haven't seen a roster capable of causing that kind of problem for a sustained portion of games. And now it doesn't just have to be, well, if this one guy makes a game-breaking play, then DC can win. Um, now the group is so deep that it's like, well, it could be Gressel, or it could be Assad, or it could be Flores. Um, it's a better it's, kind of goal scoring by committee. You don't have no proven creators and goal scorers. You have yeah. several. <laughs> right. And there's a diversity. Really... Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I mean. Uh, even uh, uh, even more than just goal scoring by committee, it's it's goal it's chance creation by committee. Instead of teams being able to lock in on Lucho Acosta and DC United not having a lot of other options to create magic, to create chances, to get the ball to the goal scorers. Now Ariola can put a ball in, Flores can put a ball in, Gressel can make an overlapping run and put a ball in, Assad can put a ball in. All, all of them can score too, especially Flores. So. Hopefully, there's going to be a wealth of options to keep opposing defenses uh, confused and on the back foot. And, and one, it's a, it, 
I was just going to add that it's, there's a diversity in how those chances would be created. Um, Gressel is really great at fi- not just being fast and getting up and down the wing, but finding spaces where he's going to have the opportunity not just to get in into a dangerous spot, but to actually have the time to pick someone out. Um, as I, I think it was Adam mentioned earlier, his connection with Joseph Martinez Guess who also has a team has a forward who likes to run the channels and get in behind defenses and then finish things off in that same manner. It's DC United with Ola Kamara. Um, so those two should fit together extremely well. Uh, Paul Ariola can, can get out wide or he can cut in. Uh, Yumil Assad, we know likes to drift in from the left. Uh, Edison Flores probably suits that as well. So you've got a, a wide range of ways DC. It doesn't have to be, well, Rooney and Acosta have to combine and then we'll open up the other team. Now it's like, well, it might just be Gressel getting into space down the wing or it might be, you know, Gressel makes a run and it draws a defender and Ariola cuts in and takes advantage of that. Um, the the range of ways that this team will be able to cause a problem for opponents is much broader this year. And while there might not be a Wayne Rooney style superstar on the roster, I would argue that I think it's a more complete group than it was last year. At least on paper. We still don't know how any of this is going to look. Yeah, we were pretty optimistic going into last year before everything fell apart. It um, had looked very good. In our, it had. In our collective Even defense, through a few weeks of the season, good. it looked very good. Yes. Yep. Uh, and then all of a sudden, not not so much. Yeah, so hopefully there's there's fewer points of failure at least critical points of failure in this. If one guy isn't on the whole thing, if any one guy isn't on, it's the whole thing's not necessarily going to fall apart. Whereas if Lucho or Rooney wasn't on last year, right. we, we saw what happened. Uh, one thing that's worth noting though, Paul Ariola is going into the last year of his contract. He has expressed interest in going to Europe at some point. Uh, there's, I think also been reported interest from teams in Mexico where he used to play. Um, so knowing that he's going into that last year of his contract, his future with DC United is very much up in the air. I would love to see him resigned for, uh, the long term, but I don't know if that's in the cards. So if he hasn't resigned by this summer, there could be a suitor come and, uh, take him away. Uh, and DC United might be amenable to selling him knowing that they lost Lucho on a free transfer. They previously lost Bill Hamid on a free transfer. Just something to look out for. Hopefully it doesn't and come to that. It might be more complicated than that too, because like if you wait until the last six months of a contract, uh, the player can just sign a pre-contract and, and that's at the that. end of the year, right? They're going to leave for free and you can't do anything about it. Um, I think United based on, especially based on what Olsen said today, though I, I will say this was before that this was after the Gressel news had been announced by uh, Steve Goff, but hadn't been confirmed by anyone. And so when Olsen was asked what his thoughts were on Julian Gressel, he said the kid from Atlanta and then didn't want to <laughs> go into it further. Um, so uh, I don't know what his thoughts were as far as that goes, but it did sound like this year that, DC's ownership has um, given them the green light to build a bigger roster. We've seen that with, or not a bigger roster, but a um, higher profile, more competitive roster. So that's what's behind the Gressel trade with all the various allocation money involved. 
Um, that's what's behind breaking the club's record transfer fee. And, and also these big contracts we're seeing not just financially big, but like Flores's contract is a five-year deal. Gressel, apparently the team, uh, the, the negotiations are pointing towards a four-year contract. That's stuff that didn't used to happen. Um, so I think this is a team that wants to build that they, they don't just want to add Gressel and then lose Ariola. Um, but if they were faced with the choice, you would kind of have to do it soon rather than wait till the summer. So we might be dealing with, you know, whether they're going to do an extension or sell that might be coming up sooner than this summer. And I mean, if it's, if it's not resolved soon, I'd rather uh, personally, I I lean towards like, if the team is playing well, just ride it out through the end of the year, take your shot with this group of guys. And then I know it looks bad because Lucho left for free and Wayne Rooney left for free. But if you've got a chance to do anything, make some noise in the postseason, I say, just go with it with Ariola. And if he walks at the end of the year, he walks rather than selling, trying to sell him for cheap in the middle of the season. But, but that's all dependent on how the team is looking. Yeah. And it depends on the offers too. You don't sell unless the right offer is there. Obviously, I think. And Uh, there's also a transfer window to remember Um, mm -hmm. the European window only there's only 10 days, I think for most countries in Europe. Um, It's the end of January when that closes, uh, if I'm not mistaken for, I know for England, I'm not 100% sure for it might be a day or two off one way or the other. Um, But it's the kind of thing that if it's going to come to a head, it's probably going to come to a head in the very near future. Um, it doesn't seem like it's going to like, we shouldn't be too alarmed that this is not an attempt to say like, Oh, the other shoes about to drop. Um, but if they were inclined to make that move, I would expect it to happen very, very soon. Or, you know, it might, it, cause then, you know, you're kind of stuck in a holding pattern. Um, but it's something you're gonna have to deal with quickly one way or the other, either they, I think, by the end of the month, we need to either hear that their intention is to keep him around and cobble together an extension, or they might need to start looking for a suitor because I don't, th- I don't think that ownership is going to be a very big fan of missing out on another player that's worth seven figures for, for nothing. I don't think they want to do that again. Especially um, since part of the pitch to Ariola to get him to join DC United right. from Cholos was that they'll look to sell him on to a team in Europe. Right. And there's still the, the prospect of like signing him to a deal with the understanding that if the interest is there, they will sell and then right. take in the transfer fee. Um, it's it's not to lock him down and not allow him to leave. Um, We're not the New England right. Revolution down here. Right. Um, but you, you, you do want to make sure that you get something for your losses as a team as well. So um, it's a tricky situation uh, or potentially tricky. Like we don't actually know what's going on because Ariel is not around right now. He's with the national team, Um, but it's something to, you know, keep your eye out, uh, keep, keep an eye on because uh, it either needs to be resolved quickly or, you know, it might be a situation where he's leaving for free at the end of the year. We don't know. So I mentioned earlier, preseason is officially underway. Uh, the The team is training in D.C. or, you know, Alexandria for the next several days. And then on Sunday, they will depart for Clearwater, Florida. The first preseason game is next Tuesday, the 28th. They'll be playing the Montreal Impact. Uh, after that, they'll play the Red Bulls. Uh, 
the following Saturday and Louisville City the the Thursday after that, then come back to DC for a little while, maybe do an event, uh, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, they haven't announced anything. Uh, do some training up here, and then they'll have a second stint in Florida later in February before the the home opener. Uh, and the the season kicks off February 29th. So uh, we don't know what the streaming will be. Hopefully there, there will be streaming and it won't be something you have to pay for and listen to construction noise with your paid for uh, streaming subscription, which are things that have happened in the past during preseason. At the same locations. Yeah. So as the, as the construction noise and the, I, I remember IMG was very windy either last year yeah. or the year before. Yeah, so they'll be every time they've been at IMG, it's been fairly windy. Yeah, yeah, it's an open field in Florida. There's ocean around it, and that's where wind happens. Um, this has been your daily weather report from from Adam. <laughs> um, Proximity to oceans equals wind. Often, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll you know we'll have games to break down pretty soon, and that's exciting for me. Um, also exciting, uh, some pictures that were posted on on Twitter today showed the the safe standing section in place at Audi Field. We heard it was coming, and and now we've we've seen what it looks like. Um, we retweeted it from the the Black and Red United site account. So if you haven't seen it, go go check it out. It's easy to find on our timeline. Um, it, it looks good, Jason. Yeah, um, it's something that going way back to before the stadium even existed, we heard at one point definitely was going to be part of it. And then at some point that changed uh, and we've never really given a good explanation as to why Um, it's not too hard to figure out. It's probably that they decided that it wasn't cost effective at the time. Um, But if you ask anyone that's in the supporter section, that's what they wanted. They wanted safe standing. Um, The... I've walked up the steps uh, at that end uh, to get a view from the very top. And yeah, I could see someone who's had a couple beers being like, ah, this is not the safest place for me to be walking uh, and standing for 90 minutes. Um, so Let having alone jumping in. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, uh, having this change uh, for it bringing in safe standing, uh, it's going to make it safer. Like it's like the name says, um, and it's something that all, all three supporters groups have been crying out for since day one. Um, I think it, it should have been there from the start. I think in talking about it with the post, um, uh, someone from DC United's front office admitted it should have been there from day one. Um, it, it was a mistake to not put it in. I'm glad they're rectifying it. They, you know, when you make mistakes in life, you should try your best to then rectify those mistakes if you can. Um, they're doing that. It's good. Uh, it's an, on a, you know, I can't think of a reason to be against it. I don't know if the photos out there are finished because it's just, it's all 100% um, metal. It's not painted or anything. I don't know if they intend to paint it or not. I have no idea. I know, I, I want to say Orlando has like the the railing uh, that you would be leaning against has like purple paint, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they might want to do that. Uh, but who knows? The, the point is that they got it done. Um, or at least they've gotten most of the work done. I don't know if it's 100% complete just yet. Uh, Cause I don't 
but the railings are in and that's the important yeah, i don't know thing. the ins and outs of construction on on stadiums like this in that regard um but yeah it, it looks like that'll be ready for uh february 29th uh so that it's it's you know it's a sign of progress i think it, it's really a good sign for the team as as an organization to be addressing more and more i think this offseason has been kind of a drift towards addressing fan concerns um whether it be making more of a, an attempt to reach out to um the latino community in dc whether it's safe standing um things like this the tv deal you know at the end of last season them getting out of the flow deal and getting you know saying okay this didn't clearly this didn't work let's find something else that does work um this is the kind of stuff that for a while wasn't really happening. The team wasn't all that responsive, but now they're starting to realize things and respond to them rather than just say like, well, we did this, uh, you know, what are you going to do? They're starting to realize that there are some things that were done wrong and they're starting to take care of them. It's, it's good to see. And, you know, it's good for the fans at that end. They don't have to worry about slipping and falling like eight, nine rows and ending up in the hospital. Yeah. uh, That's always, that's a load off your mind when you're when yeah. you're in that situation um falling can hurt really bad and cause major injury so less chance of falls good by me um there's some other changes they're making they are putting in a hall of tradition in the east concourse um there's going to be a new food option that will eventually also have gambling for those of you who are so inclined so there's there's a lot happening at Audi Field and hopefully we'll get to see it pretty soon. Uh, right now, though, we have to take a break. We'll be right back to talk with Mickey Turner about the collective bargaining agreement. Stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights in that situation whether a boss mistreated you you were fired unfairly uh or 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 something worse happens ben in the district of columbia and northern virginia you know who to call right yeah you called the ehrlich law office because you have rights that's right and your rights matter and you deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work the ehrlich law office handles workplace discrimination they do civil rights uh if you have a wage theft issue they are there for you if you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh, if you want a free consultation, tell them we sent you. Go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. The collective bargaining agreement that governs MLS player pay, roster rules, and a lot more, frankly, expires on January 31st, which as we record this on Tuesday night is less than 10 days away. Uh, Talks are ongoing between the league and the MLS Players Association, and nobody I know has been following them more closely than Miki Turner, who writes for Sounder at Heart and The Athletic and his own site, Soccer Esquire, uh, all of which you should obviously be reading. And he joins us now. Miki, welcome to Filibuster. 
Adam, guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, we have a little tradition here. We got to ask you, what are you drinking? Well, <laughs> you asked me this before or gave me the heads up. And I'm actually in the middle of a cleanse. So I'm only drinking water, coffee, and tea. So I've got some nice uh, lemon tea that I'm uh, sipping on at the moment. There is an even money chance that Ben was going to be drinking tea tonight. So uh, you would have been in very good company. But he <laughs> he he felt like drinking something a little, uh, I guess, a little Starter. harder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to find the right adjective there. It wasn't coming to me. So thank you. Um, let's, let's, I guess, start off with just what some of the big issues are in this year's CBA talk. Last time around, free agency for the players was, was a big one, along with compensation. Um, and then it was actually some of the issues actually arose after that, that one. Yeah. But um, just biggest issues for the, that you're hearing about in this CBA. Yeah. So uh, the players association, I'm sure uh, most of you guys saw put out, uh, published a website uh, basically outlining the principles that they're looking to go after. And uh, they're pretty much what you would expect. Uh, free agency, uh, compensation, budget rules, and uh, working conditions is the fourth one. Uh, within those, you can obviously, you would obviously surmise that some of them are more or higher priority than others. Uh, this time around, I'm getting the sense that the highest priority issue is uh, maybe a tie between uh, a restructuring of what TAM does, targeted allocation money, um, as well as a restructuring of the budget rules or simplification of the budget rules uh, to make things a little bit uh, more simplistic for uh, you know the players, uh, you know the front offices, and the fans, for that matter, to follow along. Uh, everyone knows about the uh, Byzantine uh, rule structure that MLS has uh, in the, in the uh, quest to keep player uh, cost controls under uh, um, at a reasonable level, and just to maintain maintain control generally over uh, what the teams do. Uh, that's been a source of frustration. I think. Well, you know, I'd say probably since MLS 2.0 started the Beckham era with the designated player. I think it's fair to say that's kind of when uh, some of the rules started to get more uh, more notice or uh, publicized and more criticism started. Uh, and so I think those are the two main ones that uh, are really animating the discussions this time. Free agency is certainly there. Um, but as you noted, uh, they that was on the table last time and the uh, Players Association uh, made a big breakthrough of sorts, uh, almost to the exclusion of other things like compensation, which you also referenced, which uh, was kind of addressed later on when TAM was introduced. So yeah, uh, we could talk about all those in kind of specific detail, but that's, I think, kind of where the thing uh, things are leading off, uh, TAM and budget rules. So, Miki, uh, you might might have heard that DC United traded a large amount of TAM yes. today to get Julian Gressel. Any chance that TAM just goes away and DC United just got uh, Julian Gressel for free? <laughs> <laughs> that would, I mean, I, there's not a 0% chance that that happens. But uh, yeah, but let's start with TAM because that's, that is the thing that the Players Association, when you start uh, bringing that up to them, their faces get all scrunched and, you know, you can hear the growls in their voices. They absolutely despise TAM. Um, um, I don't, you know, I don't think they oppose, obviously, more money coming into the, to the league on player spending. Uh, obviously, they wouldn't uh, oppose that, but they really despise uh, how the league uh, controls it. 
um, who, that, you know, how the league decides who is um, able to get Tam. Uh, they, you know, they, you know, Bob Fu said directly, it's a bad word in our book. Uh, they consider it a four letter word, essentially. Um, and well, you if know, you put the discretionary in front of it, DTAM is actually yeah, four letters. Yeah, it is so. actually a four letter word. That's, uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, and so, I th- what really grinds their gears, uh, so to speak, is is not having it, it, Tam was essentially brought in to get a higher level of player in the league, and I think it's worked. I think everyone would agree that Tam has done what it was intended to do, which is to get higher talented players in those kind of you know fifth to seventh slots on the roster and get a higher type of player in the in the league. The problem from the Players Association's perspective is that it has gone almost exclusively to foreign talent, and the MLS rank and file hasn't uh, been able to access those funds um, to the point where players have had proposed TAM deals rejected by the league. Out here in Seattle, the two most famous examples are uh, uh, Stephen Fry and Jovan Jones, who ended up actually leaving the league uh, to go to Darmstadt for a year, uh, only to come back and finally get the TAM money that he was looking for in the first place. So um, that is really, you know, they just absolutely despise it. They would like to see it go away. And to your point, they would just assume see the TAM budget, which I think is right now is 1.2 that the league provides. And then the teams can uh, go after another 2.8 million uh, to uh, on their own just to pay for. They would just assume that, you know, that, you know, $4 million or, or yeah, I think it's about $4 million uh, just, you know, added into the salary budget and let the teams, uh, you know, spend it as they see fit. But the league at this point uh, hasn't seen fit to do that because they have concerns about how the teams would spend that money. You'd have to raise the um, the max player hit to to pull that off too, or else create more designated players. Because the point of TAM is that it goes above the maximum uh, salary that players are otherwise allowed to get, right? Yeah, yeah, and they don't want what well, yeah the, what the league's concerned about, aside from not having as much control as they um, as they're used to having, is they're concerned that you know teams with uh, less acumen in in building their rosters start giving that money to rank and file MLS players who who the league deems not worthy of that money. Uh, you can all think of a player, uh, uh, you know, kind of a three hundred thousand dollar player or two hundred fifty thousand dollar player. Uh, on uh, on DC United or out here in Seattle or anywhere, um, who uh, some team decides to uh, to you know give seven hundred thousand dollars to, and then it's a terrible contract, and then the team is screwed um, on their salary budget, and the league is spending money on a player uh, that they don't think is worth it, and then it starts to raise the salaries for uh, you know for other players who who may deserve it. Say, hey, that guy's getting uh, you know six hundred thousand. I'm scoring, you know, eight goals and uh, you know, have eight assists. Why am I not making a million dollars? And so that's what the league you can imagine is 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 afraid of. Uh, now the players' association would say, "Well, okay, so that's fine. If a team makes a dumb decision on a player, they should reap, uh, you know, sow the consequences of that decision and be, either be terrible or or be salary constrained because they have a terrible contract." Um, so the players' association really concerned about that and think that's just the price of of doing business. But MLS uh, to this point hasn't uh, been uh, really uh, persuaded by that that line of thinking. Uh, Mickey, you mentioned um, uh, work conditions, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, as one of one of the issues. And we know that um, Alejandro Bedoya has called out, um, specifically has called out 
uh, a need for charter flights. And he's not the only one. He's just, I think he's brought it up the most often uh, and been the most blunt about it. Um, on the other hand, with the players union in the past, we've seen, as you said, you know, last time they ha- they were in these negotiations, they sort of picked the thing that they cared about the most and said, this is what we have to get. And if we lose out on some other things, so be it. Um, what do you think the odds are of any serious movement on the charter flights front, uh, given that they have so many other things to also address? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's talk about uh, charter flights uh, specifically, and, and that's covered in the working conditions. That covers things uh, you know, like uh, 401ks, practices, per diems, all that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can um, consider you know flight conditions and stuff like that uh, as as a as a, a piece of that working conditions component. Um, charter flights, currently, the status is uh, each team can have no more than four legs of charter flights uh, per season. So that's basically two round trip, t- uh, round trip tickets to and from uh, a particular uh, destination. And it's interesting that the, the CBA specifically restricts that. Um, and the reason is that the league doesn't want one team going out and blowing a travel budget um, while you've got uh, and, you know, chartering some, you know, a team every place where you've got some, you know, lesser revenue teams flying, flying charters that just are flying a commercial, um, you know, that provides a competitive advantage for sure. Everyone acknowledges that um, you get home earlier, you get to recover, uh, the flights are more comfortable, all that kind of stuff. You're getting more tra- practice days in at home. Um, and so that absolutely provides a competitive advantage if you've got one team doing it and another team not. And then there's also the optics of uh, teams uh, getting on charter flights, flying everywhere where you've got an, another team sitting in uh, the area, you know, in, uh, you know, a 13 uh, with, uh, with uh, the rest of the folks uh, waiting to board their middle seat. So, so with the four legs uh, there's been a lot of complaints on that, but the thing is that the, the players association is kind of of two minds about this. Uh, first of all, they complain that this is even an issue um, and think that you know each team should be allowed to to do what they want outside of the CBA. So basically, the CBA shouldn't be restricting this in the first place. Like just um, delete the, the language. Yeah, just delete the language and let the teams do uh, what they want to do. Because you're not again, you're not going to charter um, every flight. You're not chartering DC to Philadelphia or Seattle to Portland or Vancouver necessarily. Uh, you may do that for the playoffs, but you know, just on a general uh, away trip with a you know a three hour bus ride, uh, you know, or just standard flights um, will will suffice. Because uh, you know, just to circle back. Uh, charter flights, it is expensive. The Players Association it acknowledges that. The league talks about it. It's probably the estimates uh, when I last kind of you know, dug into the issue. You're looking at a million dollars per year per team to if you were to charter every flight. Now, again, you're not chartering every flight. Again, you're not chartering D.C. to Philadelphia. Uh, but, you know, it still is a significant expense and the Players Association acknowledges as much. So you're looking at nearly $30 million of league expenditures if you were to charter most or all flights uh, during a season. So the other issue is that the, the while the Players Association you know, talks kind of a big game, I guess, uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, they're not willing to really die on that particular hill, at least at this point. So if there are other things that they can get 
and they're going to sacrifice charter flights, they would likely do it. That's that's what I've gotten. I've, I've talked to Bob Foose about this, uh, the executive director for the NFL or uh, MLSPA. And he basically says, yes, it. I wish this was not an issue at all. But we've got other things that we're, we're really focused on. The Players Association and the players would rather have an additional $5,000 in their pocket than, you know, then have the charter flights they would just put up with you know the middle seat or the uh, the extra travel time if they're getting a significant amount of increase in compensation or the 401k contributions go up um basically the monetary component um is of a higher value to the players right now than necessarily uh travel they wish it wasn't an issue at all and they the uh the owners would just you know let the teams do as they will. Uh, but that's not something they're again, the hill they're going to die on at this point. So if it comes down to it, um, if they get everything else or, or most of everything else they want, but uh, charters uh, stay the same or are not appreciably different, uh, you would not, that's not going to hold up a deal. It's not like free agency was in the last one where yeah. that is mm-hmm. their primary goal. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Free agency was the thing they, uh, they were really fighting to crack to crack and you know uh, they left a lot of money on the table by all accounts as evidenced by the fact that about three months after the cpa was signed in 2015 the league introduced ham the league had expected i think to give up more on the pay front (laughs) than they did um then they also had that study that uh your colleagues at the athletic unearthed um, yes that, that said focus on these roster spots and pay money to those players uh what do we know about the status? It sounds like players are, they have the talking points down for status questions right now. The union reps are all saying, we're not really optimistic or pessimistic. We have a deadline. We're going to work. We're making progress. Do we know anything beyond that about where the talks stand? Unfortunately, no. And I uh, believe me, I've been digging. Um, like I said, the, the two, I've talked to uh, Bob Foose twice. I did an interview with him um, at his office when I was on DC uh, in September. Um, and then he did a conference call the week of MLS Cup uh, just to kind of provide a status update. Um, he's, I, I would characterize the discussions as moving forward slowly. I think that's, as you said, the players aren't worried or you know, threatening an imminent strike. And they're also not, uh, we're not going to see a deal tomorrow. And I think uh, no news is good news is the saying that I would go with right now, because if you were to see the players start really uh, putting out a PR offensive uh, as far as, you know, what they did with the, with the, the website. And if you saw them really start to escalate that and you saw players doing lots of interviews saying the owners are being unreasonable, or we're really looking to, uh, you know, we're not getting what we want in the way of, of, of counter offers from the team or from the league, then you would be uh, really, I think we would be really concerned that uh, a strike is imminent, but you're not hearing that at all. Uh, what you're hearing is basically uh, we've submitted offers, uh, and we'll see what happens. The one thing that's slightly concerning is that there, there's current. We're currently in a week off status. Uh, basically, the players provided a proposal last week, and they're not scheduled to meet until next week. Uh, and so you can be kind of a two minds about that. Number one, that they are, uh, you know, considering the proposal this week, and but you can also say, well, wait a minute, why are you taking a week off? 
with the uh, with the collective bargaining agreement set to expire in a week and a half. It seems like this is prime negotiating time. But the thing is, yes, the deadline is January 31st and the CBA expires, but they can certainly work under the old CBA uh, and as long as they think they're getting close to a deal. And there's not um, MLS games for another month anyway. So as long as the players think that they've got uh, – they're making progress. They're likely to just play under the old CBA, especially since we're not even to the start of the season. There is the one complicating factor of the uh, CONCACAF Champions League, which starts up around February 17th, give or take. Uh, If there's not a CBA, the player's not obligated to play in that tournament. Um, And so that is a major point of leverage for the players to get the, uh, to get MLS to the table. If, they think that they're dragging on uh, sending out a proposal or agreeing to terms um, because that would be a major disaster. If you've got the uh, four or five MLS teams not participating in CCL because the players decide they're not going to play again, there's not at this point, any major concern about that, but again, we still have several weeks. So if things break down um, closer to CCL, you can start to see the players association uh, ramp up the pressure. Um, but at this point, I would expect that they're going to play those games unless things really break down. Um, so the real deadline is right around the end of February, which is the start of the MLS season. Keep in mind, last time around 2015, they didn't come to a deal until the day before uh, the season was to start. So it's one of those things that you're probably not going to hear anything until close to the end, uh, unfortunately. So speaking of the last time a CBA was negotiated, we talked a little earlier about how the players made free agency their primary focus last time around. Uh, What do you think, and perhaps to their detriment overall, what do you think that the players have learned since uh, from that last round of negotiations that they're bringing to the table this time around? Yeah, I think they're trying to leverage the public support that they have. Because unlike the other leagues, uh, NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, NBA has had labor peace for the past 10 years, so it hasn't really been an issue. But the players uh, certainly have the support of the the fans um, at large. Um, and so they, if they were to strike, it's not an issue where you start to see fans saying, uh, why are these uh, rich, spoiled rich kids trying to you nickel and dime the owners? Uh, mainly because they're not, <laughs> by and large, rich kids, and you've got players making fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year. Um, you know, obviously, you've got the millionaires uh, and the DPs, uh, but you know, you still got a, uh, the rank and file who who are certainly not getting rich playing uh, major league soccer. Um, and so they'll certainly try to leverage that. Um, I'm not sure how much the owners would care about that necessarily, uh, because they're the ones with the uh, checkbooks and MLS. Is, MLS's position in the wider sports landscape is 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 pretty low on the totem pole, um, and so it's not uh, it's not clear that um, there would be much public pressure that would force the uh, force the uh, MLS owners to relent, uh, such as say when the referees strike in the NFL and you get a bunch of scabs coming in and you know things start getting messed up and the public pressure ramps up and then the NFL finally comes back and says all right uh, we'll, we'll uh, we give we give uh, so I don't know if that's necessarily uh, the uh, the case here but they will have the public support behind them um, by and large to get a deal done um, I think they uh, will continue to focus on the budget rules and. Uh, uh, specifically meaning TAM, um, as well as uh, improved compensation. Uh, and then the other thing is free agency. I think I, I don't think that's a, a point of contention this time around, per se. Um, 
I think that there's room for them to make a uh, to get to a resolution on that, uh, especially because I think the league at least acknowledges tacitly that it is overly restrictive given what uh, you know what the parameters are. Uh, you know, 28 years old and eight years of service. I think if the players association can get them down to like 26 and six. Uh, then they would be satisfied. They just want to keep making inroads uh, like they did last time, which they considered a major breakthrough. Uh, Mickey, you you alluded to when this is going to become or could potentially become more of a pressure point when the league gets close to kicking off the regular season. Um, I know the players have talked about how during the last negotiation, they maybe didn't have much of a strike fund and that they tried to build that up this time. Um, if it came down to it and they had to actually, they, they felt compelled to go through with a strike. Um, how long do you think they'd actually be able to hold, hold out um, based on that, that attempt to build a strike fund uh, to cover, not just, you know, the guys that have a ton of money, but the guys that are making 70, 80 grand a year. Yeah, the, the, the they their strike fund is not is not large. Um, mm-hmm. I think I read reports it's it's around ten million dollars, uh, and and that's not going to last you very long in a league with you know six hundred players or or what, whatever we're at these days. Um, so as to how long they could last, uh, they said they've been preparing for two years for this, which means financial planning, saving money, um, making, uh, other arrangements and, you know, maybe, you know, you know, having the low, uh, low income players, uh, you know, live with the high income players. I mean, that's, that's a lot of, you know, logistics and hassle to kind of go through. And so the, how long they could last is not very long. It's my guess. Um, but they may need to do it just to show that they are willing to do it and mm. can do it. And to, you know, to prove to the owners that they've got, uh, you know, a little bit of backbone, I guess, for lack of a better uh, description. So um, I think, I, and to, to your point, the last time around, they did actually vote to strike. They were prepared to strike um, on, but on the um, eve of that strike, the uh, NFL or the MLS uh, owners came back with an improved offer and, you know, put some significant pressure on the players association to, uh, to accept the deal, essentially convincing them that a strike would be catastrophic for the league. Uh, I don't know if that is going to work this time around that kind of pressure, uh, you know, especially given all of the money coming into MLS in the form of expansion fees. Uh, but, you know, I think the players association knows that they've got the public behind them. They've been preparing and they may need to go through with it if they, uh, if they, aren't getting what they think is a fair offer. Yeah. It went to mediation last time around. Um, like federal mediators were, were helping the negotiation along. Um, gut check Mickey. If it comes down to it, will there be a strike or will they come to a deal before the season starts? Yeah, I see. I've been a bit pessimistic. Uh, in my, I wrote up a summary uh, for Sounder at Heart, uh, you know, kind of outlining all of the issues. And my conclusion was that while they have, you know, points of agreement uh, on the specific issues, crafting that into a, uh, a, a formal CBA could prove to be a bit more difficult. Um, based right now, I would say that the odds of a strike are low just because of the lack of information coming out of both the players. The league was never going to comment. They're ne- they've never commented on um, negotiations, but the players have been relatively quiet. Um, I think if if you start to see the players uh, speak out 
about the negotiations that, you know, the league's being unreasonable. We're not getting offers uh, that we like. Uh, then, you know, that's red alert time. But for right now, at this point, I think a deal is more likely than not based on what we're hearing or not hearing uh, from the players. But look to the players. They're going to get the provide the cues on whether we're going to see a strike or not. All right. Mickey Turner has his ear to the ground knows more about the CBA than any person outside of the room uh, that, that I've heard from anyway. So thank you for coming on, on filibuster. Um, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Turner ESQ um, spelled exactly as it sounds. And then uh, obviously I'm writing for sounder heart contributing to the athletic uh, here and there. And then I write for my own website, soccer Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us on Patreon, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. I know Mickey has his own Patreon if you want to support his work at Soccer Esquire as well. Uh, Find us on Twitter at blackandredu, at filibusterdcu. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com, especially if you're Panera Bread or another potential sponsor. (laughs) Uh, Download, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, please just tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to get the word out. For Jason and Ben and thanking Mickey Turner one more time, I'm Adam Taylor, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. All I'm saying is if you're going to ask me boat advice and I give you the boat advice, you better buy the boat. I think the guy should buy that boat. You have to go back to Panera and find out. Uh, All the way out there? No, I'm I'm not that invested in the opinion. I take it back. 